Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. kicking off a series today um, that's the classics volume two and so last year we did the classics volume one it was volume one on purpose because I knew I wanted to do it again this year and there's no telling how many volumes we'll have over the years Um, but this is a great way for us to begin to deal with some of um, just some of this maybe if you grew up in the church um, some of the Bible stories you heard in church and in, and in Sunday school and those different things. And, and just to be able to delve into them. And everything like we've talked about before, we did a whole series on this on, uh, called Shouts and Whispers. Where the, the scriptures are telling us about the nature of God and pointing us to Jesus. All of the scriptures have been pointing us to Jesus all along and revealing that, that God had a plan and that plan was was fulfilled in Christ. And as we look back at even the Old Testament and a lot of those things, we begin to see these things pointing us to Christ all the way through there. And so as we look at some of these classic stories, some of these stories from the Old Testament, um, we begin to see that uh, these glimpses of what our life in Christ is supposed to look at. And today we're going to kick off the classics volume two with part one um, and we're going to look at a guy you may not recognize his name. His name is Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, unless you kind of like to get into some of the, the nuances of the scripture, you probably don't know him. He's not Moses. He's not, he's not Peter. He's not Abraham. He's not one of these big central characters. Um, but I, I've always had a, a, a partial place to Obed-Edom in my heart for a lot, a lot of years, years and years ago. In fact, Cutie and I were even putting together a, a legal entity um, that we were doing. And Obed-Edom was, is such an important character to us that we actually named that legal entity um, after Obed-Edom just because of some of the principles we're going to get into. And so I, I hope as we crank through this together that you're going to see uh, some of the amazing things we can learn about our life in Christ with Obed-Edom. And one of the reasons why... I feel like from a New Testament perspective, it's so important for us to look at it is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, Hebrews 11 talks about those great cloud of witnesses. It goes through all the Old Testament people and the life of faith that they lived. And it's just lists them off like a like machine gun fire. Bam, 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 bam. And just listing up all of these all of these different people and list them off. And he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's like, these great cloud of witnesses are going to help us to ditch some of the stuff that's trying to mess with our life in Christ right now. We got some lessons to learn from the ones that went before us that they're, they're shouting out and they're saying, hey, there's a better way to do it. There's a, you can learn something from my life, from, from my wins and maybe my struggles and my losses and, and, and the way God worked. And so that's what we're going to be doing through this. We're going to be looking at some of this great cloud of witnesses. And the first thing we're going to check out with Obed-Edom is that Obed-Edom welcomed the presence of God into his house. 
into his house. I love it that there's some of you that are watching online right now and you've dialed it up and we're, you've welcomed this moment into your home. And we had a whole lot of that. That was the only option we had for about nine or ten weeks that, to do that. And I'm so thankful that we get to come together as a family and connect here live. But what I want to make sure that this moment simply helps to be a gateway moment for all of your moments with God throughout the week in your own home. Because there's this place, there's a difference between being welcomed and just having a regular weekly appointment. And so and when you're welcomed, there's, it's a completely different thing. Cutie and I years ago had this uh, experience um, and uh, where we understood what it meant that, okay, our, our time there was, was up. We were done. We weren't, it wasn't time to be in this person's home anymore. And I, I was working for a really great guy and he was starting another business and he wanted to, for me to, to be in charge of that other business. He was going to be manufacturing some stuff and, and I was interested in that kind of thing. And so, um, so he wanted to have a meeting for us to sit down and talk about the ins and outs of this business. And so he had Cutie and I over, him and his wife, and we were going to have dinner, and then we were going to talk about this business. And it was so funny, because on the way over there, on the drive over to these people's house, um, Cutie tells me, she's like, Brandon, do not make them ask us to leave. And I was like, I've never been asked to leave somebody's house in my life. You've never experienced this with me. That You don't have any anecdotal stories that says, Brandon, you just don't know when it's time to leave. You just need to finally be ushered out the door. Please, party's over. Go home, Clark. That's never happened to me before. But on the drive over there, and there's just something. Sometimes wives, they just know stuff. Husbands, you just need, we need to listen to our wives some more. And I can say that because my wife's not here, so she can't hold this over my head. She's out there doing something. I guarantee she's hearing it. I guarantee she's picking it up. Oh, there she is. She heard it. And uh, we need to listen. Our wives, they pick up on stuff. And so sure enough, she gave me that heads up. Don't you, don't you ask, make them ask us to leave. So we have dinner. We do all of, all of that. Um, and then the, the television happened to be on, and it was the night of a, of a political address. It was actually the, um, the uh, State of the Union address. Well, this guy had a political bent. I had a real strong political bent at the time. And so, all of a sudden, the State of the Union address just kind of begins to take over the evening. And, but we've never discussed business. We've never talked about any of the stuff we were there to talk about. The agenda for the evening was never even kind of addressed. And then all of a sudden, this awesome guy looks over at me and says, Well, let me be the first to tell you goodnight. And goes over to the door and opens the door. And, be, and cutie glares at me. I mean, she just, just, she just would have turned me into a pile of dust. And I'm just kind of going, oh my gosh, we just got kicked out of these people's house. I'm like, how did this woman know that the first time in my life was going to be right at that moment? But she knew. She had it dialed in. I don't know how she knew that. But she knew. But I tell you what, there was, there was a difference of having this, this moment and this, this, this place where you had an appointment and you got to take care of some business. 
And there's a totally different thing when you are fully welcomed. And when that is what we want to make sure is that our relationship with God, that we don't set these little appointments and go, okay, God, you've got till about now because then I'm, I'm out and I've got other stuff to do. Okay, in the morning, I've got this, and then you know what? I've got this. On Sunday mornings, we try to do a real good job of respecting your time. We understand you give us about an hour, so we make sure we try to take about an hour. And so we want to honor that. We know we've got a lot of new people to this. And, but for those of us who are maturing in Christ, um, our relationship with God, our daily in and out of our relationship with God, we've got to take the clock off of it and just keep it open and keep it loose and keep it real. And have and welcome the presence of God fully into our lives. I'm thankful for the, for the, the morning moments where we have the set plan devotional. I'm thankful for the weekly times where we gather together. But to really step into the fullness of our relationship with God. And it needs to be about welcoming God in our home. That we should actually gather together on Sunday morning so that we can grow together so that when we're apart, we are able to, to implement this in our homes in a deeper, more significant way. It's not that this is the space where all the important stuff takes place. No, actually, this is where we get equipped for all the important stuff that takes place in our homes. That is what this is about. And Obed-Edom fully welcomed the presence of God into his house in a really, in a moment where he had every reason that he could have bowed out and said that he was not interested in this. Now, before we get deeper into Obed-Edom, I've got to give you a little bit of a backstory on some different things. Now, if you were with us last week, um, we mentioned we were in Hebrews chapter 10, and, and um, Hebrews chapter 10 used a lot of, of Hebrew imagery um, in talking about what Jesus has done for us. And it, it talks about the, the, the holy of holies and, and that the veil had been ripped. And, and so I explained last week some of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant was not this little um, super elaborate little mobile home that God lived in. Um, this little fancy God box that God lived in. It was, it was more like a telephone. It was more like a place of, of conversation and meeting that, that God would, that was a special presence that God was there above that when in that moment um, wasn't inside it, but was there above it and would meet with the people of Israel. And he would meet with the people of Israel. And this is the way that that had gone. Well, we're going to go through, go back. Um, to a moment where um, the people of Israel had, were in a battle against their arch enemy, the, the Philistines. The Philistines, um, if you're familiar with David and Goliath, you know Goliath was a Philistine. They were constantly going at it with one another. And so the Israelites were in a battle with Philistines, and they weren't doing so good. And so they decided to weaponize the presence of God. And they said, we're actually going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to take it into battle with us. And we're going to force God to be on our side in this battle. That was a bad idea. It's a bad idea to try to weaponize the presence of God. It's try to, to try to get through your own agenda by inserting and trying to force God's hand in certain into a situation 
Well, guess what? Well, it didn't go that well. God did not direct the people of Israel to do that. They just decided we're going to do this. They take it into battle. And guess what? They lose the battle and the Philistines get the Ark of the Covenant. They get it. And all of a sudden now, in fact, the guy who was the, who was the main priest at the time, when he gets word of that, he's sitting on a log and he falls over, he faints, he breaks his neck and he dies. I mean, this is just, this is a tragic, tragic thing. And the people of the, of the Philistine nation have this, the Ark of the Covenant, for seven months. And they don't know what to do with it, and they try to add it to their other gods, and they have this fake god called Dagon, and Dagon, every time they go into the Dagon's uh, temple in the morning, Dagon has fallen over face down uh, after being set next to the Ark of the Covenant. And so, and it's like, and they're like, man, this is messed up. And then things start to go really sideways in the nation. And there's this infestation of rats. And they start dealing with different sicknesses. And they're like, man, this was a bad idea. Let's get rid of this Ark of the Covenant thing. I don't know why the Israelite people like it, but we don't want it anymore. So they get a brand new cart. Get a cart, trying to be cool, trying to make sure they're respecting this thing. They get a brand new cart. It's never been used. They take the Ark of the Covenant, stick it on this brand new cart. They attach two cows that had just had calves. And they, and they put the calves, they separate the calves from their mom, put them up. And then they say, okay, if, they, if these cows take off and they leave their, their little babies behind, well, then something bigger than nature is at work here because these, these mama cows will come back over here. And then we'll know this is just kind of a coincidence. Well, guess what? Those cows beeline it for Israel. They have this Ark of the Covenant on this cart behind them, and they just take off. And then the Philistines are like, good riddance. We don't want this anymore. This is bad news. And it, it goes down in that direction, and it gets to a place called Beth Shemesh in Israel. And the people there in Beth Shemesh are working in the fields and they see something they had mourned the loss of. And they see the Ark of the Covenant coming up into their, their fields. And it's just, it's just freaking them out. They're like, oh my gosh, it's back, it's back. But they, some of the people of Beth Shemesh did not revere and honor and they took it a, a little lax. And about 70 of them were really curious and they... They just treated it like a common thing, like a museum piece, and they go and peek inside of it. Um, and, and those 70 people, they, they died, according to the scriptures. And that's a little bit where we get the imagery um, that's used in, the art, in Raiders of the Lost Ark and the, um, we see there with Indiana Jones. So where they open it, open it up and then everybody who was looking inside dies. They get that out of the Bible. And so they're in Beth Shemesh. Well, that freaks them out. So they're like, you know what? Um, we don't want any more people dying. And so they called to the next village over to Kiriath Jerim. And they said, hey, y'all come get this thing. And they come get it. And they take it back. And they put it in the house of a man named Abinadab. And Abinadab's, Abinadab's home is where the Ark of the Covenant resides for the next 20 years. It stays there. Stays in Abinadab's house, not in a temple, not in any place. It just stays in Abinadab's house for the next 20 years. Over that 20 years, 
we begin to have a bunch of big events happen while it's hanging out. So there's this, this side thing that the Ark of the Covenant is hanging out at Abinadab's house. And, and we have Saul becomes the first king over Israel. Saul gets rejected as the first king over Israel. David gets anointed as king. David fights Goliath. David gets pursued by Saul. David gets made king uh, of, of certain parts of the tribe of Israel. Um, David is, is, has all sorts of battles, all this stuff. And then the Ark of the Covenant is hanging out over here at Abinadab's house. And then finally, David is made king over united Israel. And David says, you know what? We need to move the Ark of the Covenant, and we need to put it where it belongs. It needs to be in Jerusalem. It doesn't need to be in this guy's house over here, ignored and rejected. And that was a good thing that, that David wanted to do. David wanted to do a good thing. So he goes and he decides, and he doesn't just do this offhandedly. He takes, takes 30,000 troops with him. They're, good, they're just going to make sure it's protected. They're going to do this right, a lot of pomp and circumstance. But David made a mistake. And see, God had clearly outlined in the scriptures what, how to move the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God was supposed to be carried by people. There's another shout and whisper that God's presence was supposed to be carried, the Holy Spirit carried by his body, by people. And he didn't see that it was supposed to be carried by people, and so he remembers the story of how the Ark of the Covenant showed up and how the Philistines had handled it and how they'd put it on a new cart. And so David's like, let's get a new cart. And David takes his cues from the way other people had handled the presence of God instead of the way God said how to handle the presence of God. So David takes his cues from the wrong people. David takes his people who didn't respect God, who didn't honor God. Folks, we've got to make sure that just because culture says this is the way we need to handle God, we don't let culture tell us what to do with our God. We let Scripture tell us what to do with our God. We let the Holy Spirit tell us what to do with our God. We don't let the way other people interact or think we ought to interact with God. Because it's going to end up in disaster. Because he took the cues from the wrong place and it says he goes and gets a brand new cart. He's trying to do what he thinks is right. And he gets a brand new cart and he puts some oxen to it. And they begin the trek to carry it to Jerusalem. And it doesn't get very far because it's being handled in the wrong way. And the oxen stumbles. And it, boom, it stumbles, which begins to shake the cart. And there's a guy named Uzzah who is of the household of Abinadab where this has been hanging out for 20 years. And Uzzah for whatever reason, was entirely too comfortable. He was entirely too chill. He was entirely too relaxed with it. And, and so he's just like reaches over to just steady it, which seems like a reasonable thing to do, but you weren't supposed to treat the presence of God, that thing, as common. And as soon as he touches it, um, he dies. It, it says that he did an irreverent act with that. And, he, and he's, he's, he's dead. Remember last week we talked about the guys with the, the bells on their, on their robe and the rope around their ankles. So if things didn't go right, they could be pulled out. And praise God, we can approach God boldly 
that his presence is fully accessible to us because we are fully made right in Jesus. We're not any better in ourselves than those people were, but because of Christ, we've been made fully whole and clean and righteous, and we have access to the presence of God 100% without any fear or, or any issues. We do. What an amazing time we live in. What an amazing thing. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We get to, to carry that with us. So it reaches out and touches it, and, and the dude dies, and David gets mad. He's like, God, what's up with you? I'm just trying to do this thing right, and he gets mad at God. This is a guy who is, has a heart. He's a man after God's own heart. He's, he's ticked at God. Another little side note is that there are times when we, we try to do the best we can, but we're not doing it being led by the Spirit, and things don't end up right. And all of a sudden, we can blame God. Was it God's fault? Not at all. He was not operating God's principles, but he's like, I'm trying over here. And so many times, we can find ourselves, and we can have loved ones who find themselves in places of being angry at God and upset with God because they, they weren't doing things and following the, the principles and precepts that God had laid out. So now, David wants to stop this movement. He's like, we're not doing this. We're not carrying this anymore. And this one guy just died, and they now need to find a place to put this ark. And the one guy who says, I want it, is a guy named Obed-Edom. In the middle of all of this, he's like, I am hungry for that, yes. And he invites the presence of God in to his home. 2 Samuel 6.10, it says in this is David. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. Remember, it was in Abinadad's home for 20 years. But Obed-Edom had it for three months. It says, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. There's a difference between being affiliated with God, knowing who God is, and fully embracing his influence in your life. It's completely different. Being cool with being around God and being hungry for God, for design. Saying, you know what? God doesn't creep me out too bad. I'm fine with him being around. You can talk about him. You do it. Or, or having a desire for his presence and his power in your life. One family just chilled around God for 20 years with no remarkable change in who they were or what had gone on. One family fully embraced the presence of God, and in three months, everybody took notice. Everybody took notice. See, there's a place where we need to understand who God is and what He wants to do in our lives. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we see a, a little more... <clears throat> a little more normal moment where it's not this artifact, where it's, it's Jesus. And Jesus here in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says is that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It was Martha's home. She opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Martha opened her home. Mary sat at his feet. 
Martha's like, sure, come be here. But there's a problem. While he, while Jesus was in her house, she wasn't with Jesus. In fact, she gets upset. Says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She's busy doing all the stuff because Jesus don't travel by himself. He's got a bunch of these hungry, scruffy disciples. That they're all going to want something to eat. She's got to go over there and make some sandwiches for these guys. And she's got to set the table and do all these different things. And Mary is just sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha is doing all the work. And she gets upset about it. And she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? You know, so many times we think that it's only the big things in life that make us question Jesus' care. You know, they're out there on, all the disciples are in the boat, there's a big storm, even the, even the fishermen are freaked out and they think they're going to die, and they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care if we die? Big, death, scary moments. Even Jesus' disciples questioned whether or not he cared. Do you know what? It's not just those big, scary moments. Sometimes it's just getting stuck in the daily grind that we can go, don't you even care? I'm working my rear off over here. I'm toiling over here. I feel like I'm doing this by myself. Don't you, don't you even care? We can find ourselves beginning to question God's care and his love for us, not just in those big, pivotal, oh my gosh, got blindsided moments in life, but just in the fact that we are not spending the time at his feet. We can be, he can be under roof and not at his feet. And all of a sudden now we're questioning whether he loves and cares for us anymore. When where that is absorbed, where that is found is where Mary was. Just letting him minister. Letting him minister to her. And then she shifts into it and says, don't you care that I do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. You know what? This is a prayer I have to watch that I, as a minister, I don't end up praying. Because this is a prayer. She's talking to Jesus, and she's asking him to intervene. That's, that's prayer. She was doing it face to face, but now we do it with, with, with him at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit here. But it's, it's a prayer. And I can easily end up, as a minister, feeling like I'm busy, 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 and saying, God, tell people to help me do stuff for you. God, I'm aware I want you in this place, and I need you to, help, to tell people to help me do stuff for you. And I need to make sure, as a minister, and every minister, and all of us need to make sure we hear God's response. Martha, Martha, Brandon, Brandon, or whoever it may be, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and that will not be taken away from her. Sitting at Jesus' feet and letting him minister to you is better than all of those extra stuff. It's about being in his presence. That's what it's about. Obed-Edom understood it. It's about being in his presence. We have to understand it's about being in his presence. We can feel like we've let him in our home and still forget to just be 
in his presence. John chapter 14, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come in and we will come in and make our home with him. See, Obed-Edom's blessed life, it inspired others to pursue the presence of God. 2 Samuel 6, verse 11 says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now the king was told, the blessing was so significant it made it back to the king's ear. And it says, And the king was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of, the, of, the, of God. So David went down and brought up the ark from God from the house of of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. David was afraid of the presence of God. And in witnessing what God had done in one man's life in three minutes, all of a sudden made him bring God's presence in with rejoicing. What we let God do in our lives and let other people see can ha have people shift from being afraid of God's presence to an embracing him with joy. If we would just let God really manifest himself in our lives, really do it. it people watching, people on the fringes can go, you know what? It's not as freaky as I thought. There's more to gain than to fear here. And I can move forward with this. That is what he wants to do in our lives. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Guess what? God wants to make an example out of you. And there's a lot of people, if they hear that word, they all are like, oh my gosh, he's going to make an example out of me. What? Oh, he's about to like turn me into a little pile of dust for all my evil deeds. No, he wants to make an example of his love. He wants to make an example of his restoration. He wants to make an example of what he would do in your life, of turning the ugly into beautiful, of, of bringing restoration where it looked like there was nothing but hopelessness. That is what he wants to do. And, and Paul tells Timothy, his number one disciple, this is a trustworthy saying. No matter how dirty, messed up, jacked up my life with, God can bring restoration and make an example and show his love through that. See, Obed-Edom was a worshiper, and he pursued the presence of God. First Corinthians, First Chronicles 15, got a bunch of hard names here. Shebaniah, <coughs> Jehoshaphat, Nathanael, Amasiah, Zechariah, Beniah, and Eliezer, the priests, were to blow the trumpets before the ark of the Lord. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. Now remember, Obed-Edom lived in Kiriath-Jerim. No, sorry. He lived in, a, that was another guy. He lived in another place that wasn't Jerusalem. My mind is slipping on his hometown. But the Ark of the Covenant is there in th for three months in his home. And they move it into Jerusalem. And where do we find Obed-Edom? In Jerusalem. 
And he's like, you know what? I will let go of my previous life and I will happily be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Because where if I have, he had had a taste of the presence of God and he's like, I'm never going to be without it again. I am never going to be without it again. I will move where God moves. I will stay where God stays. I'm going to be in that place. And that was the life of Obed-Edom. He's like, my, my, I found my home. And it is not a geographical location. It is the presence of God. And he became a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You and I can be doorkeepers. God's doing something amazing. We carry the presence of God and we can either open the doors of our hearts and let others in and see what he's doing in and through our lives. And that means we've got to be honest. We have to be real. We can't be fake about this deal. But man, I tell you what, we can be doorkeepers and show what God, God, God of love and grace can do in our lives. First Chronicles 16.5 says Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, and then Jeel and uh, Shemiramoth and Jehiel and Matav, yep, and Eliab and Beniah and Obed-Edom and Jerah. They were to play the lyres and the harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. Obed-Edom had a hidden talent. He's a guitar picker, man. And so it's there. He didn't know just open up the doors. He would, he would play. He was a worshiper. He used all his skills. John chapter 4 verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. And then the last thing we see is that Obed-Edom's life of service and worship created a legacy for his family. See, being willing to invite God's presence into your home will create a legacy. We see in 1 Chronicles 26, 8 and 15. See, all of these were the descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. The descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. We first come in contact with a man named Obed-Edom. Generations later, we see that there's 62 of his descendants serving in the house of the Lord. Why? Because he opened his home to the presence of God. Disciples are made at home. I wish we could say that, you know what? Disciples, you know, we, here we have the programs, we do it. Do the church stuff, and it'll be done. It's not. It's not. What we are here to do is to help you in making disciples at home because they're made at home. I can tell you this from my own life. From my own life. I remember as a, as a young boy, my, my dad was uh, one of the leaders of our, of our church, and back then to be able to be remotely seen you actually had to go down to the tv station and they had a little studio and it was live on tv and i remember there uh, in odessa midland area being up early at like 6 30 or 7 in the morning on sunday morning and my dad sitting there on tv with our pastor with the bible talking about things and i was just as a kid like ah, that's my dad talking about the scriptures and it's going out to our community that this is a real deal of, of, of their Bibles being out 
going into my parents' room, and the Bible was out on the nightstand. You could tell it was used going, getting up early in the morning, and my mom on her second or third cup of coffee, sucking that stuff down and, and, and having her notes and all this stuff, her prayer partner on the phone praying down heaven on my life. I'd get mad at the Holy Spirit because he would rat me out to my praying mama, and she would have awkward conversations with me. Like, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, I've been praying. I'm like, quit. And that stuff, it wasn't just what happened at church. It was more so what happened at home. Disciples, they're made at home. And then verse 15, it says, The lot of the south gate fell to Obed-Edom, and, and the lot of the storehouse fell to his sons. They just served. Served at the gate, served at the storehouse, just served as a doorkeeper, served in worship. They just, just served. And then 2 Chronicles 25 to 24 says, He took all the gold and the silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom. Now, all these years later, this is 230 years later. So Obed-Edom is not super old. They're referencing his entire clan by his name. And so these are his this lineage that's taking care of us, together with the palace treasures and the hostages, and, the, and they returned to Samaria. 230 years later, 230 years later, Obed-Edom's family is still serving in the presence of God, still having a living relationship with the presence of God. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. It is transgenerational faith. That is what has brought it to us thousands of years and thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, and here we are in San Angelo, Texas, on another continent, across a big old ocean, and we're talking about Jesus and what he's done, and it's because of transgenerational faith. That is what has helped bring it to here. Our bottom line is this, that to welcome God's presence is to enjoy his presence. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.